Good afternoon. It's Friday the 6th of November 2020, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Uh, your host today, Mike Robinson and Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century Wire. Welcome to the programme, Patrick. Good to be with you, Mike. Uh, right, we'll get straight on with, uh, well, with Rishi Sunak, who was uh, in the House of Commons yesterday, uh, extending the furlough scheme. So workers across the United Kingdom, they said, will benefit from increased support with a five-month extension of the furlough scheme in the spring 2021. Uh, the job retention scheme will now run until the end of March uh, and employees will receive 80% of their current salary. So some people commenting on this this morning saying it was a U-turn uh, because obviously the furlough scheme was supposed to end at the end of last month and then there was a, a, a follow-up scheme that was paying less. Uh, and then there's going to be support for, uh, for other things. So let's look at what else was announced. Uh, here we go. Cash grants of up to £3,000 per month for businesses which are closed. Uh, 1.1 billion pounds being given to local authorities uh, and that is uh, uh, distributed on the basis of 20 pounds per head for one-off payments to enable them to support businesses more, more broadly is what the press release said. Plans to extend existing government-backed loan schemes and the future fund until the end of January. Well, we've already covered on this programme uh, the fact that uh, there are problems with the loan schemes and uh, businesses potentially being put out of business. Uh, as a result of those. Um, and then what comes next, an extension to the mortgage payment holiday for homeowners. There's no definition for, of how long that will continue to run for. Uh, and then up to 500 million pounds for funding for councils to support local public health response. Uh, two things perhaps to say about that, Patrick. Um, first of all, uh, it doesn't look like the lockdown measures are going to end anytime soon if he's needing to uh, put that kind of measure in place uh, and uh, second of all more and more beholden to the government for just about everything it seems at the moment. Sure if they're extending it to March it means that they're planning on uh, either reinstituting lockdown uh, intermittently uh, either going straight through or taking a break for Christmas to make sure the natives don't get too restless and then sort of drop the hammer down again uh, in January uh, to crush what's left of the real economy by that time. So if they haven't finished off the economy before Christmas, they'll be able to, to finally crush it, which I think is what the government uh, has wanted to do all along. Uh, yes, indeed. Now, uh, that was what was going on in the House of Commons yesterday on Wednesday afternoon after the news programme. Uh, then, of course, uh, we had the debate uh, and uh, the legislation for the lockdown. Um, and, well, Charles Walker, MP, that we featured on the programme on Wednesday, had more to say. Uh, so let's briefly listen to that. Madam Deputy Speaker, our freedoms are like the air we breathe. They're fundamental to us as a nation and to who we are as its people. Yet once again, we stand on the threshold of using the rule of law to undermine the rule of law. And can I say this, Madam Deputy Speaker? We are not asking our constituents to do anything we have never asked. We have coerced them. We have coerced them through criminal and civil law. Let us not use that word ask because it is not an accurate description of what we have done. Freedom to protest, the freedom to protest, that is the oxygen of democracy. If this parliament is not the place for disputation, delectable or otherwise, where is this rigour to be found? I will have no part of criminalising parents for seeing their children and children for seeing their parents. No part. And I am not living in fear of the virus. I will not live in fear of the virus, but I am living in fear of something much darker, much darker hiding in the shadows. And. Madam Deputy Speaker, when the sunlight returns, and it will return, I hope it chases those shadows away. But I can't be sure that it will. I cannot be sure. And that is at the heart of my anxiety and the anxiety of so many of the people I represent in this place. So Charles Walker there, very concerned about uh, the... Uh, effect on, our, on freedoms, on the fact that we're not allowed to protest as a result, uh, and also making the point very strongly there that, uh, you know, he's extremely concerned that once we're out the other side of this, uh, that many of the 
draconian totalitarian features that we're seeing of this lockdown and the current legislation that's going through, that will not be relaxed as a result of that. It, it's quite a strong uh, statement now. Of course, we mentioned on Wednesday, he formally uh, from the 1922 chair of the 1922 committee. Uh, and well, let's just look at uh, what the situation was with respect to the vote itself. So this is from They Work For You. Uh, and you can see that uh, as a result uh, of the uh, vote, 513 voted for the legislation. Uh, you notice that uh, quite a lot of Labour support there because the Labour Party decided to support the government, uh, but still some abstentions uh, and 37 no's. Uh, and those were all from the Tory party, from the DUP and one independent. So just, let's just briefly have a look at the list. Uh, so the usual suspects in there, Peter Bone, Graham Brady, uh, and so on. And obviously, um, you know, Charles Walker on that list as well. DUP seem to en masse have voted against, uh, despite the fact that they are themselves imposing a similar type of lockdown in Northern Ireland, uh, although perhaps not quite as uh, draconian in its intent. Um, but so that was that was the vote. But of course, yesterday was the 5th of November uh, and there was a protest uh, it was the usual million man march as every happens every 5th of November. And here's the BBC headline. Uh, London anti lockdown protest leads to 104 arrests. So the BBC saying the police have arrested at least 104 protesters during anti lockdown demonstrations in central London. The Met said in a statement, the majority of arrests were for breaches of coronavirus regulations. And they talk about a large police presence being in Trafalgar Square, near Trafalgar Square, uh, that the crowd was uh, dispersed shortly after 7 p.m., uh, that smaller groups of protesters remained in Oxford Street and along the Strand. And the police said this gathering is unlawful and is putting others at risk. Um, I'm not quite sure how that is putting any others than the people that were there at risk, if there's any risk in the first place. Uh, we're directing those there to go home. Uh, well, we had some comment uh, from uh, people on this and here's one example uh, crowds appeared peaceful and friendly however disgraceful behavior by the police when people marchers and tourists tried to go home from around 8 30 p.m police kettled about 200 people in oxford street formed a tight line to block their exit no one was allowed to leave they held people until 10 p.m presumably so they can then arrest them for illegal assembly very dirty and unnecessary tactic by the police, Crusader Dick is a disgrace. Well, of course, the only mainstream uh, media organization, as usual, that was uh, streaming this out live was RT uh, and, uh, well, the police presence there. Uh, and the commentary from a number of people this morning on this, uh, here's Francis Hoare, uh, the barrister. Uh, Countries whose police forces break up protests violently and do so spouting straight state propaganda are not liberal democracies. Lawyers and others who stand aside and greet this with silence or worse, active support are no friends of liberal democracy. He said the Bar Council and the Law Society went into apoplexy when the government passed a law allowing one element of an international treaty about trade to be disregarded in, dis in domestic law. Yet when the government tears up cardinal democratic rights and breaches the fundamental rights to freedom of worship, to family life and to property, they stand by mute. Uh, quite strong words there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Francis Hoare also, I think, uh, involved in the legal defense of Simon Do Simon Dolan's team uh, uh, going against the government on lockdown measures. Um, so you know, he's he's a good person to follow on social media on Twitter uh, if you want sort of up to the minute uh, breaking updates on on this uh, situation, this political situation. Yeah, but it's pretty um, it's a pretty despicable state of affairs, really, in terms of democracy. Uh, indeed. And uh, I think the, 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 the fact is that over the as a result of this new lockdown legislation, the police are feeling much more empowered than perhaps they did before. And the, the, the general feeling is that they're going to be a lot stricter in enforcing it uh, than they did the first time round. Uh, well, perhaps not just the police. Um, here's another uh, comment that I received this morning. Thank you very much for this. Um, at approximately 10 a.m. this morning, that's obviously yesterday, uh, our office was visited by a chap who was at face value from uh, the health and safety executive. Uh, my boss and director, who fortunately I have a good working relationship with, greeted him rather suspiciously. Turns out he wasn't employed directly by the HSE, but by some other third party agency, possibly Capita, G4S or that ilk. Uh, he was doing a spot check to check that we were COVID compliant, etc. 
He was shown around the office for about 10 or 12 minutes until he was satisfied with whatever he needed to be to see be shown. Uh, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir, sort of thing. Uh, basically, just a clipboard, nosy Parker. He woke, wore a reflective yellow high-vis tabard vest with HSE printed on the back. He was wearing a surgical-type mask throughout. Uh, but, of course, uh, this is uh, much more than just a clipboard, nosy Parker, because the health and safety executive do have the right to enter business premises for inspections. Uh, and what they're aiming to do here is to shut down as many businesses as possible. And we will uh, be covering a little bit more of that towards the end of the program. And just uh, to finish off this uh, particular uh, section, uh, 10 million people have been tested at least once now, according to the government. Uh, well, that's out of uh, 65, what is 65, 67 million people in the country. Is that really a success? They're viewing it as a, as a success. Uh, and since we've got that figure and the figure of 40% for the number of people that have downloaded the app uh, in the country, I'm not certain that the government narrative, Patrick, is uh, achieving uh, herd status, shall we call it? Well, we're told that uh, herd immunity doesn't exist, though, uh, according to Matt Hancock on the floor of the House, the House of Commons. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure. I think they're a little bit confused about the science. Uh, as well. So the whole thing is a complete shambles. Yes. Okay, well, look, let's uh, move on to the uh, US election then. What's the latest? What's the latest? This is a very difficult and challenging story to try to get your head around. Uh, it's a moving target. There's multiple targets within the moving target, uh, and everything is running along the timeline. We'll, we'll try to explain a couple of things and show you a few things that that we're flagging up, but we, but we are by no means giving you a full analysis. We'll try to give you more detail in some of these things, uh, maybe on an election edge uh, episode uh, in the next day or two. But let's just start and have a look here. Uh, so the, the election, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, uh, do we have a result? That's the question. It's a big question mark hanging over it right now. And uh, the president uh, took to the airwaves uh, directly uh, last night uh, with a statement from the White House and um, it was expected what he was going to be saying. It was basically that he's going to come out fighting. Uh, so let's just take a look at uh, what the president has said here. This is uh, President Trump and uh, he made quite a few statements during this uh, speech that he gave, this press conference. Millions and millions of people voted for us tonight and a very sad group of people is trying to disenfranchise that group of people, and we won't stand for it. We will not stand for it. And he goes on to say, uh, this is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We are getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election, said the president. And finally, uh, so our goal now is to ensure the integrity for the good of the nation. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud on our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper uh, manner. So he's, he's talking about the, uh, the, the legal process that is already now in motion. A uh, number of lawsuits have been filed uh, by the president, by the Republican Party in multiple states. We'll show you what some of those states are. Uh, I think what's important about this particular address uh, at the end, uh, the mainstream media in the United States cut him off uh, mm. before the end of this uh, this press conference, basically saying that they didn't they thought he was lying. Uh, even uh, CNBC, Shepard Smith, literally cut him off in mid sentence and said, "We won't allow the president to be speaking such lies." So he has no evidence. He hasn't shown any evidence. So the, what what they're doing in terms of narrative management in the U.S. is the mainstream media, Silicon Valley, are saying that, that you can't have due process. So normally you, you make an accusation. This has happened many times before in U.S. history. This is nothing new. You make a challenge uh, to an election result. It goes through due process. You're allowed to make accusations. Mm. Uh, they haven't uh, obviously had discovery yet and presented all the evidence, but the mainstream media, Twitter, uh, YouTube, are uh, you know censoring comments by the president, literally censoring. He can't speak to the nation. Imagine that. The president of the United States can't address the nation because they're saying that he's been fact-checked by them and he's been uh, deemed by them to be false, so they've cut him off. Uh, I mean, are the mainstream media in any position to criticize anyone of uh, saying words without any facts behind them? 
morally and ethically, no, but in their mind, uh, they are. So this is a very dangerous phase we're going through here uh, because, you know, if, and they've also, well, we'll show you in a minute, uh, it, it, this is going to get very dicey in terms of censorship going forward. And as much as people, you know, those people who dislike Donald Trump, he is the only person who's actually standing up to the media and standing up to Silicon Valley, really, in any meaningful way uh, at the moment. So if he's allowed to be completely silenced, then, you know, I don't think anybody really stands a, a big chance of having any equitable treatment in that department. So, I mean, is there any mainstream media outlet that's, that's presenting this anyway, honestly? Uh, no, I, th I think Fox News is, is halfway presenting it, uh, honestly, but they're also involved. They've been involved in uh, some real chicanery, which we'll show you uh, in a minute. But uh, let's just look at what's, what's at stake here and which states are involved in, in the legal challenges here. Uh, we'll just take a look at this, this map uh, by, the, by the United States here. So these are the court challenges that are currently uh, in play. Uh, Pennsylvania, uh, there's currently not finished the current recount, so they're still in the process. Uh, there's been legal challenges filed there to do with uh, allowing Republican observers to, uh, to witness the ballot counting. Uh, and also there's probably going to be chain of custody issues as well out of the city of Philadelphia. Can I just ask you about this witnessing the ballot counting? Because the mainstream press absolutely saying that they were they are allowed to, to witness the ballot counting. And but there seems to be tons of evidence to, to show that they aren't. Yeah, it, it depends who you believe. I think there's multiple situations. Uh, again, this you, we're talking it's, Pennsylvania is as big as a European country. Mm. Um, so multiply this times six, seven, eight. This is the sort of uh, complexity of what we're, what we're dealing with mm. here. So um, it's really hard to address uh, all of these issues. Plus there's a lot of anecdotal stories that are being flooded on social media mm. uh, from both sides and, and accusations from both sides. So it's a complete uh, mess. It's a complete mess. But Michigan, there is gonna most likely be a legal challenge in Michigan uh, as well. Uh, there could quite possibly be a recount. Uh, there's been anomalies flagged up in Michigan, uh, dead people voting for Biden. Mm -hmm. uh, this has also been presented. This is publicly available evidence uh, in some cases. North Carolina, there, there might be a legal situation there. Uh, Trump currently has a lead, a, sub a substantial enough lead in North Carolina, but what we're finding is the last 1% of the count is taking two to three days, uh, and all of a sudden ballots are being discovered. And you know, election officials saying, we found 50,000, 60,000 ballots, ballots on a flash drive. Mm. And they're adding it to, and of course, there are, most of these are going for Joe Biden. Uh, so this is, this is the anomaly, this is unprecedented. So you're seeing like uh, the president had substantial leads and was trending in all of these battleground states. And their ar the argument from the White House is that they halted counting uh, on, you know, in the middle of the night on election, after election night, and then come in the morning to find out that the lead has been eroded. And, you know, so they're saying, oh, these are all late mail-in ballots that have come or mm. they haven't been counted yet. So uh, it's, so it, <laughs> it, there's going to have to be an investigation. There's going to have to be uh, court cases. Probably it's inevitable. There's going to be challenges. So uh, North Carolina, Georgia, Wisconsin. Now, Georgia's interesting because uh, as we speak now, the count could already be finished. Uh, we haven't looked at it in the last few minutes. So, But it certainly, it certainly looked like it had turned blue at this morning. Uh, yeah, by a few hundred votes. Based. It's that tight? Yes, it's that tight. So... Um, so the, the, most likely Biden's uh, going to uh, announce victory in, in Georgia, and then there'll be a recount. So th there's definitely going to be a recount, plus there's legislation which we'll show you with regards to Georgia uh, in a minute. So Arizona as well, uh, that count is currently in progress. Uh, they, the state had initially been called by AP and Fox News as, as for Biden on election night, long before the counting was even finished. Mm -hmm. So that raised a lot of red flags for people that there was a fix that was in. Uh, so Arizona is still being counted right now. It could likely go to Trump, according to uh, a lot of the independent pollsters that, that we've been following as well, and data analysts that we've been following. Nevada, it's also, there's a pause. Uh, there's been a sort of a halt in the counting there. Uh, so that's neck and neck within a few thousand votes as well. So if you go back to that screen, what do we've got uh, so far? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven potential 
uh, major legal challenges. That's not even counting a potential legal challenge in the state of Virginia uh, by the Trump administration or the Republican Party uh, for some uh, funny uh, results and ballots showing up there uh, on, on the down-ballot race that ousted uh, one of the, I think it was a congressional seat, I'm not sure. So there's a lot of unusual things that have happened uh, on election night this year that nobody can really explain. Uh, the Democrats are saying there's nothing to see here, move along, Joe Biden's president. Expectedly, that's what you'd expect. And the media is saying nothing to see here, move along, Joe Biden's the next president. Twitter is saying nothing to see here, move along, Joe Biden's the next president. Facebook, Google, uh, YouTube, they're all basically enacting very heavy censorship policies right now uh, for anyone challenging uh, what are the sort of the fact checkers of the mainstream media. I cannot express how dangerous this current atmosphere is when mm. you have a, a ha in the hands of a few people who are absolute partisans uh, or involved in direct censorship, not only of people, but uh, political surrogates, White House press secretary, the New York Post, and even the President of the United States himself. So, you know, you, you can argue the facts, sure, but when you come to censorship, this is a whole other matter. Mm. So in terms of Georgia, we'll just show you one legal challenge here. This was uh, back in October. This was a circuit court decision here. Appeals court uh, restores Georgia's election day absentee ballot deadline. And so this is what was said at the time. A federal appeals, appeals court uh, reinstated election day deadline for Georgia voters to return their absentee ballots, overriding a judge's decision that would have given voters three additional days during the supposed coronavirus pandemic. So we saw all these efforts to extend voter deadlines in multiple states, and we saw uh, challenges from, from Repu state Republicans to try to stop it, to stick to the normal election laws. So it has been absolutely an open democratic strategy from the beginning to push deadlines back for mail-in ballots and to push them back for days, so to change to rewrite the election laws. Now, th that may very well go to the Supreme Court, specifically in the case of Pennsylvania. The uh, justices uh, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch alluded to that uh, in their dissenting opinion uh, when they ruled on a tie uh, on that. So they allowed Pennsylvania to have this extension, mm -hmm. uh, and so that might could be clawed back. So those ballots might be segregated. Uh, and if so, they might be basically thrown out if the Supreme Court rules that this was somehow uh, election interference by the courts in what constitutionally is, is the purview of the state legislature is, is basically what they're uh, ruling there. So in Georgia, this could be a court challenge. In Georgia, there could be ballots thrown out. There's definitely probably going to be a recount. I, I would bet on it there being a recount that the Trump uh, administration, because it's so close, there'd be a recount if they supposedly are said to be, have lost. And if they inspect any of the ballots to see if there's any uh, ballot harvesting or you know, phony ballots that have been stuffed, it's been remarked that ballots all just have Joe Biden and no one voted on the down ballot races. So there's a big disparity in some places, uh, according to some data analysts, where you have all these votes for Biden, but not in the congressional races and the Senate races what we call the down-ballot races mm. in America. So that's an anomaly, like where did all these Joe Biden-only ballots show up? And if they were real Democrats, surely they would have... Voted for a Democratic con congressman or a senator? Right down the ticket, mm. exactly. So this, there, there's a lot of these issues. Now, the, the problem is there's so much noise. There's so much, so many anomalies. That it's just a tsunami of things. And, you know, how are we going to sort through this? It's, it's going to be very difficult. So Donald Trump versus the media, and of course we're going to add Twitter in here uh, as well. And so Twitter is censoring Trump's tweets about disappearing ballots, so he's not allowed to sort of tweet, which is his biggest platform. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and then moving on, this is where it's going to get really dicey here. Trump will, this is USA Today, already basically assuming he's lost the election, and this is what they're saying. Trump will be a regular citizen on Twitter when he steps down. So they're already, they're, mainstream media are saying Trump will step down. They've already, in, in their eyes, it's a fait accompli. The election's finished. Biden's won. So this is how a lot of the mainstream media are moving into this phase now of Joe Biden as the uh, uh, president-elect, as the president-elect. That'll be the next phase of the big push. 
And so that, to say it's a fait accompli, Donald Trump, why are you fighting this? Don't be a sore loser. The CNN's head correspondent from the White House was shouting as, as Trump left after his statement, Jim Acosta was saying, are you a sore loser, Mr. President? He was shouting at him. So the decorum is going to go. And this is going to get really, really, really nasty. What, what strikes me about this is that in the run up to the election, we had Nancy Pelosi talking to the military about what was going to happen, about succession planning, what is going to happen if Trump refuses to leave the White House. And, you know, it was hard at that point to see a scenario where he wouldn't refuse to leave, or where he would, sorry, where he would refuse to leave the White House if he had lost. There was, no, there was nothing he had said that would indicate that he was going to try to uh, set up camp inside the White House if he had lost, other than the speculation that, that the Democrats were setting this up for to steal the election. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, it, it does seem pretty incredible that, that there was all that going on prior to the election, and we're right here in this position where he's now saying, um, you know, I'm effectively not going to leave until all these things are, are sorted out. Um, and that so that narrative that they were building up before the before the election is absolutely in play at this point. Not only that, not only that, but there's this assumption that there's no way Donald Trump could have won. And in, they had been backed up by all of these fake polls. And of course, Trump's even being censored for saying that the polls are fake. Mm. Well, the polls are fake. Anybody that looks at the mainstream polling, we, we sh we've demonstrated this on a, a Election Edge, multiple episodes, how the mainstream polling got it completely wrong on this. They didn't just get it wrong. I think it was in a part of the intentional strategy, which was to build up this, this idea in the public domain, uh, in the public mind, that, that uh, Joe Biden had this insurmountable lead and that the only way he could possibly lose is is by you know the Russians or as they used in 2016 they did the same with Hillary they overamped her lead and then blamed on the Russians well if 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 Donald Trump had won by a, a bigger margin or this ballot uh, strategy hadn't worked uh, then they would have probably gone for voter suppression uh, and 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 they would have led the legal challenges mm. but it, but it was you know because it was so tight and they had the advantage apparently in these states where these ballots showed up at 4 a.m., uh, then now Donald Trump is on the legal defense and he's making the challenges. So uh, here, here's just an example. This is Kellyanne Conway, a former Trump strategist here on November 5th, and she's talking to Fox News about what went on. And if you look, look at the states they've got, look closely on the Fox map. These are the states in yellow. And there's Pennsylvania, there's North Carolina, there's Georgia. These are the states that haven't been decided. They're supposedly up for grabs. Alaska, that's going to go Republican, no doubt. And then Nevada. And what's interesting is Arizona is still in play. And Fox has basically... Sorry. It's okay. Yeah. There you go. And, and Fox has basically uh, not... doesn't have it as yellow. It does, it's not in play. It's not up for grabs. But it is up for grabs. So how do they know that? Well, they called Fox on election night, and they've refused to retract that. So, so there's something. I mean, this is just completely uh, out of line in terms of the media. This has never happened before uh, in U.S. history. So, there's clearly an agenda to unseat the president, and it goes as high up, and it includes Fox News as well. Mm -hmm. They refuse to retract that from election night. So, they're, they're still standing by it after afterwards here. So, that's incredible. Let's look at how the the UK mainstream media is treating this here. Uh, this is ITV News. Donald Trump repeats baseless election fraud claim as Joe Biden urges calm. How does ITV News know that it's baseless? I don't know how they could possibly know that it's baseless. There's been no investigation done. So the mainstream press talking about people uh, saying words with no, no fact behind them. Uh, isn't this a perfect example of exactly that? This is, and so this is international consensus building. Uh, so they, they're building the, what the media is doing. The media conglomerates are building up an international consensus that Trump must go because that will be the next mantra that comes uh, in, in not so long. Let's look at the BBC here. Uh, if you if you count the illegal votes, etc., they're quoting Trump. Trump claims without evidence that the current election projections are based on fraudulent votes. So uh, notice without evidence. 
So they're, they're basically, before any legal proceedings have begun, the BBC have said these are illegitimate claims by the President of the United States. So this is the, uh, the deep state talking here, mm. uh, the British deep state, the same British deep state that supplied the Steele dossier and uh, Alexander Downer's uh, rumor mill and everything else. So here's, now this is where it gets really interesting. This is a Guardian article out of uh, Philadelphia by Sam Levine. Trump's last-ditch U.S. election lawsuit not going well for the president, experts say. And let's look at this uh, choice quote here in the subheading. The president appears to be trying to sow discord and distrust over results with legal actions in key states. So, I mean, what kind of a loaded subhead is mm -hmm. this? Basically, he's just... He's out to sow discord and distrust. Sounds like the you know it's the Russians are out to sow discord <laughs> and distrust. So this is loaded language. Now I look at this, and this is a Guardian article, but is it an actual article? Let's look a little bit closer here. And we look at this. The fight to vote is supported by about this content. You see the fight to vote mm -hmm. there? Well, this looks familiar, doesn't it? The fight to vote. Let's take a look at that. That's interesting. What is this? Is this a political campaign? That the Guardian is running? Well, actually, we talked about this in one of our Election Edge episodes here. TheGuardian.org, basically, the fight to vote. And this, so this is a Guardian PR campaign that's been running for months, weeks or months here. TheGuardian.org. This is a not-for-profit arm, I guess, a foundation arm of The Guardian. Uh, and so they're running this campaign that, that alleges that Americans are disenfranchised. And uh, so here it is, about the fight to vote, a Guardian series, paid for content. Uh, and this content is supported by, in part through philanthropic funding to the Guardian.org from the Schumann Media Center. We could do a whole report on what they're involved in. <laughs> Craig Newmark Philanthropies, that's Craigslist founder, who's a radical left-wing left uh, activist billionaire, and the Park Foundation, all the content is editorial independent right, and overseen by Guardian editors. So, I mean, that's... That's right, because all those people are going to pump money into that uh, in the full knowledge that the Guardian's going to publish something which goes against their particular political ideology, aren't they? So the, the British press, the British deep state, is very involved in the information warfare uh, because American viewers are seeing this on social media. Mm. Of course, uh, British and European viewers can't see everything because of GDPR uh, restrictions but they can see everything that's coming from Europe. So, so this is quite a, an interesting situation. The allegations since, 20, uh, since 2016 were that the Russians were uh, using their media platforms to interfere in the US general election in 2016. There's no evidence to support that other than words coming out of the mainstream media. There's a lot of evidence to show that British mainstream media have been directly interfering in the US election, uh, but we're not going to say anything about that. There's nothing There's nothing wrong with that, it seems. It's only when the Russians do it that there's a problem. Or international foundations, international uh, think tanks, not-for-profits. So uh, so the, the Guardian is, I mean, there's no debate as to what their role has been mm -hmm. in the kind of the fake Russiagate. Uh, they've produced a lot of phony stories. Uh, the, Luke Harding's work, I think, speaks for itself in that department. Yeah. So, I mean, so they're, they're, they're heavily involved in the kind of orchestrating this soft coup for years. Uh, against this administration, and here they are now basically sticking the dagger in mm. what, what they think is the final blow. Now, the reality is, the last thing I'll say, because I think you're moving on to, to another story here, the, 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 the reality is, Mike, that uh, this is probably not going to be the end this week. This may very well drag on into December. That's the reality. So it's, it, we're, it's a grudge match now, basically. Um, well, uh, we're sticking with The Guardian because it's another one on Trump, regardless of the U.S. presidential election outcome. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Trumpism le uh, lives on. So this is uh, David Smith, who's the Washington, D.C. correspondent for The Guardian. Uh, and he's beginning by saying, well, uh, the Democratic hopes of an early sweep are, uh, aren't going to happen. Uh, that hope that this would result in a quick, clean and overwhelming repudiation of the 45th president but on, on another miserable night for pollsters, it did not turn out that way. Trump proved resilient and increased his vote in Florida, Texas and other states. He found even more uh, white working class voters than the last time and chipped away at Democratic support among Latinos. 
his cult of personality campaign uh, rallies were as enthusiastic and rambunctious as ever. So it's, it's a, it is an attack on him. But nonetheless, he goes on to say uh, that the legal challenges are still underway. And now he says, if Trump wins the election, Trumpism wins. Uh, but if Trump loses the election, Trumpism wins too. Uh, and he says that the Republicans did well in the House and the Senate, which means that Trump's influence will prevail. Uh, the message to other Republican aspirants is clear, he said. Uh, this is Trump's party now. Uh, uh, now, indeed, the party is clearly committed to his strain of raw populist nationalism, overthrowing the old consensus on trade, immigration and other issues. And this is very much uh, a, a, the same narrative that was being presented on the BBC Today programme yesterday. Uh, that, that effectively Trump has taken over the party. So even if they get rid of Trump, uh, the Republican Party is going to pursue these types of policies. Um, so I, I don't know what, you, what your thoughts are on that. I, I don't think it's so much that Trump has taken over the party because if you, uh, a lot of the top uh, GOP figures are all really quiet right now. They're not rushing to the defense of the president. They'd love to see the back of him and just get back to the dirty business of politics. What it, what's happened is that this president has given a voice to a, a large swath of American people. You can call that populism. Most of that analysis I would agree with from this particular author. And, and so what you could have, and they're correct, uh, if, if Trump is, is pushed out in this election, uh, that's by no means the end of what could very well be an upswell, a populist movement in America that could run for decades. Mm. And it could actually potentially transform uh, it could reorder politics and transform society because it's more it's this is actually an inclusive Movement uh, you can see they've been calling him a racist for years Trump's a racist Trump's right and all of a sudden all, He's got more engagement with other uh, Minorities uh, are yeah. trending into the uh, into the into under his tent mm -hmm. So what this is is this is not a this is a repudiation by by Americans against the mainstream media, against the propaganda, mm. all the lies that have been told, it's had no effect on them whatsoever. Mm. So it's really, it's, a, it's, a, it's an indictment of CNN, of MSNBC, of Nancy Pelosi, of the, the, the a, a, a absolutely corrupt Democratic Party that spent four years trying to convince the American people that Vladimir Putin installed Donald Trump in the White House in 2016, a complete lie and they wasted four years of resources, of government time. They accomplished nothing in four years. So the Democrats didn't do anything in four years. All they did was fight, try to get Trump out of office. And so the, the voters have spoken, and clearly uh, this is just you know, uh, an absolute repudiation of everything that has happened on that side. The deep state, the media, mm -hmm. Silicon Valley, the censorship. Um, all the hearings, the impeachment, Russiagate, all, all this sort of stuff. They, most, most Americans are sick of it. And know what else they're sick of? They're sick of lockdowns. They're sick of being told they need to wear masks. They're, they're sick of being uh, told to live in fear. And I, I contend that Trump's campaign message was end the lockdowns, open up economies, get the kids back in school, let's get back to life. Now, the Democratic message was the opposite. It's we, we're going to need to lock down. We need a national mask mandate. Joe Biden was running around all the time wearing a surgical mask. Mm -hmm. Okay, So the, the, the image is clear, what those, those two are, are offering. That's why this election, there's a lot more at stake than just a party c coming in. Mm -hmm. This is like, if you don't like the COVID agenda uh, with a Biden presidency, you're going to get a lot of it. Okay, you're going to get a lot of it. When Joe Biden says there's going to be a, this is going to be a dark, bleak winter, he wasn't kidding. He meant if I win, it's going to be a dark, bleak mm -hmm. winter, and that winter is going to last for a very long time. So those people who are against that and against censorship, um, it could possibly be at the moment, maybe not forever, that Donald Trump would be one of the only political figures standing uh, between that outcome uh, and sort of in the people. So. The, the, there is a lot more at stake. Um, the Great Reset agenda, that is absolutely under the, Democrat, the, the Democratic establishment. They're 100% they're 
with Bill Gates and everything like that. Build back better. We'll be coming back on that in a minute. Uh, just, to, just to end this segment, Patrick, just briefly, uh, long at odds with Trump, says NBC News Defense Secretary Esper has prepared a resignation letter, officials say. Uh, and then the subhead is uh, Esper also plans to help Congress draft legislation to strip military bases of Confederate names, uh, which could further alienate him from Trump. Um, I don't know how many incorrect or how many things are, are that are incorrect with that statement, but that headline. But uh, I hadn't seen any evidence that he was particularly long at odds with Trump. First of all, uh, and second of all, why would he resign at this stage when uh, you know if if Trump is potentially leaving office, he's only got another three or four months to run. Yeah, th this looks like part of a PR campaign uh, in order to I think. That what the Democrats, if Donald Trump challenges the election result, uh, one of their strategies will be to go after his cabinet members individually, go after his chief supporters and get them to disavow the president to weaken him. And basically the narrative is then he's all on his own. He's the last man standing and he just has to go. When is he going to leave? He won't give up and so forth. So they're going to attack his his uh, his cabinet members. It's People support him. In terms, if, if Esper had a, a long-running spate or something like that, who knows? The, do you trust the mainstream media on any of these things? And you look into the source, the provenance of that story. It's like a source says, or a source close to the matter says. So it could mean nothing. But this is a PR war. This is war right now. Hmm. So if there's a civil war, a soft civil war, or a political civil war, it's definitely in motion now. And uh, Trump has. The president has said, I'm not going to back down. We're going all the way on this. And so he, he'll have the media against him. He'll have Silicon Valley against him. He'll have the civil service against him. But he's used to that because mm. they've been against him the whole time. Yeah, so, right. yeah. so I don't think if he, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't bet on him conceding. Uh, it would take, you know, that would have to be something uh, serious to make that happen mm. in the short term. So I, I wouldn't bet on that in the short term. I would bet on it going long distance. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community. Uh, join us there. And uh, that would be very much appreciated. Now, yesterday, David Ellis uh, produced uh, another Ellis report. Uh, and this time we were talking about totalitarian uh, transformation. Uh, so I'm just going to briefly run through a little bit of this, but I, I do urge people to watch that and share it if possible. Uh, what were we talking about? Well, uh, this, the government uh, has set the train in train the biggest review of our foreign defence, security and development policy since the end of the Cold War. Now, uh, strategic defence reviews happen every five years, and there was one expected in 2020. But when Boris made this statement in February this year, uh, he was talking about not a strategic defence and security review as they've previously been known, but an integrated review. Um, and uh, this term integrated is quite important uh, because first of all, what you see is it's now it's not just defence and security, it's now in introducing foreign policy, uh, international development policy. Now, why would they be doing that? Uh, he, Boris went on to say, this is a defining moment in how the UK relates to the rest of the world. Um, so it's part and parcel to do with uh, global Britain and Britain's position in the world militarily uh, as, a, as a soft power nation with its foreign policy. Uh, and uh, what we were pointing out uh, was this idea of the integrated operating concept, which uh, uh, General Sir Nick Carter had launched a couple of weeks ago. We did mention it on the news programme. But the central idea of the integrated operating concept is offensive rather than defensive. So it's not about defence. It's about uh, Ministry of War rather than Ministry of Defence. This is what Carter was saying. If you remember, the nature of war remains constant. It's visceral and violent, and it's always about politics. He said, what's changing is the character of warfare, which is evolving significantly due to the pervasiveness of information and the pace of technological change. Uh, and he said that uh, we need a new model for deterrence that takes account of the need to compete. Now, this is quite an interesting statement. He was talking about uh, you know, large power competition or whatever you want to call it. But what's he talking about this need to compete and where are we going to be competing? Because most people are looking towards Russia and China and they're looking to the, the, the Russian European border or they're looking to the South China Sea. But I don't think it's that at all. And we need to look at the fusion doctrine because this is part and parcel of this integrated approach that they're talking about. 
And the fusion doctrine is absolutely about focusing on the Sahel region of Africa. One of the points that David Ellis was making in the program last night was that that echoes the sentiments expressed by Tony Blair uh, about EU defence, that echoes the sentiments of the EU themselves through Ursula von der Leyen. They're particularly interested in the Sahel. Why? Because that's where China is. Russia's there to a certain degree as well. This is a very important part of the world strategically at the moment, uh, and that's where the focus should be. So let's uh, look again a little bit more at the integrating operating concept, integrated operating concept. The central idea is to drive conditions and tempo of strategic activity rather than responding to the actions of others. That's why we say it's offensive rather than defensive. They want to drive the conditions and tempo of strategic activity. Uh, maximizing advantage will only be realized through being more integrated within the military instrument, vertically through the levels of war, strategic, operational and tactical across government and with our allies. And actually, as you read more into this, also with corporate entities as well. So this is, this is about the fusion of all kinds of uh, institutions, government, a restructuring of government. This is actually fundamental to our relationship as individuals uh, to the state. Uh, the, he went on, or the integrated uh, operating concept goes on to say, the old distinction between foreign and domestic defense is increasingly irrelevant. When fake news appears to originate not abroad, but at home, it gains credibility and reach, stoking confusion, disagreement, division and doubt in our societies. This has been particularly evident with the significant uptick in disinformation and misinformation during the coronavirus crisis. So again, the idea of disinformation and misinformation at central to, absolutely central to this restructuring, central to everything that they're doing at the moment. Uh, home is no longer a secure sanctuary, whence we may choose to launch interventions unhindered. Away is no longer a regional horizon, but a global one involving space and the electromagnetic spectrum. But home is no longer a secure sanctuary. One reason, because of the disinformation as they describe it. Um, so the, this was the uh, key statement from the integrated review then. This is separate from the uh, operating uh, concept. This is the, the review itself. Uh, identifying the necessary reforms to government systems and structures to achieve these goals. And this is the key point, Patrick, what they're doing is completely restructuring government from the ground up. It's pretty much hidden what's going on because nobody's paying attention to it under the noise of COVID, uh, particularly under the noise of COVID. Now, the Integrated Defence Review has apparently been put back by a year because of COVID. But the fact that uh, Nick Carter is, is making presentations about, about it indirectly at Policy Exchange shows it hasn't gone anywhere, it's still being worked on, and they aren't going to actually release that document until 2021 now. But, so there's still time to change what they're doing if, if people know what they're doing. This is an area people need to be paying attention to and you need to start uh, agitating your MPs about. So how would you boil all that down into, in, into one? Is that the, the military uh, using this fusion doctrine is, is deploying the assets of, of this machine against uh, the population against their own population is that is that part of it what, what look what, what we've seen over if we if we look at the policy direction over the last five years because fusion doctrine was not a, a military initiative that was Theresa May's initiative but it's continuing in this regime uh, but the uh, and the, the breaking down of barriers between government departments that started in David Cameron's days and is continuing on through this present regime through the May regime and then through into this regime. These, this is a fundamental restructuring of government. What we're showing here is the military and foreign policy and international development part of that. Mm. But this is a fundamental restructuring of government. Nobody has told us what the new structure is going to look like other than it's going to be a whole of government approach, effectively single point command of everything. So who, whose hands is that single point command going to be in? Is it Boris Johnson's or the Prime Minister's? No, because they're merely a spokesperson for this stuff. So it's going to be, well, who is it going to be? Is it going to be the Cabinet Office, the, the Intelligence Services? Well, these are all going to effectively going to be one thing in the future. So a single point command and control of everything government, you can't have a democracy, you can't have multiple parties or anything like that. That can't exist in that environment, right? Absolutely. So that's a Soviet single party state. More of a so a, that is clearly a Soviet model of of govern of governance, if you want to call it governance. It's totalitarianism. 
basically. Th this is exactly what it is. And we're seeing it being expressed through the lockdown policy. We're seeing it being expressed mm -hmm. in other policy areas. But it's still early days and it's not fully formed yet. So, so you know, if it's if it's doing this at this, if, if it's behaving in the way that it is now, effectively sidelining Parliament, as somebody said, turning Parliament into, you know, a phone in radio show mm -hmm. because everybody's trying to come on via via Zoom and there's very few people in the in the, the chamber itself. So there's no proper oversight, no proper opposition, no proper debate. Um, you don't have to face the opposition physically. You can do everything through a computer screen. Yeah, and there's a, there's a limit to the number of people that can be heard through the computer screen. So so it's... <laughs> so that, no, I'm just saying this because they're also appropriating Soviet language because when you see the term disinformation, understand where that comes from. Misinformation, disinformation. This is straight out of the Stalin regime. Mm. They invented these terms uh, in order to basically attack any dissenters. So it's, it's, uh, it was a term, a, politi a politicized term uh, from Soviet Russia, from the Stalin regime, and they're using that to attack any political dissent, basically. So rather, there, there is no such thing as disinformation. There's information, and it's either true or accurate, or it's not true or accurate, and that's, uh, that's up for discussion and debate. Mm -hmm. That's why we have a press. This is why we have discourse, okay? There's no such thing as disinformation. When you see the word disinformation, it's normally designed to disguise what the government's putting out, which is propaganda or total deception, basically. And they, they'll hide by throwing disinformation and misinformation out. That's why the whole Russia fear-mongering and Russian disinformation, all that, this is why we push back so hard against that, uh, because this is, uh, this is a distraction, this is a deflection uh, a strategy by governments in the West to distract their own populations from what they themselves are doing behind the scenes. So. Okay, well, let's move on to this then. Uh, everybody will be glad to know that the Bank of England has decided to pump another £150 billion pounds into the UK economy. Well, no, perhaps not. Maybe it's going into the banks. Uh, so the nine-member uh, Monetary Policy Committee uh, voted unanimously to uh, increase quantitative easing bond buying program. Uh, and uh, uh, then the European Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, they're doing exactly the same thing. Uh, trillions of dollars and euros uh, of liquidity going into the system. Uh, but at the same time, of course, they're withdrawing credit in the real economy. Uh, this is just what they did at the beginning of the year. And what's the intention of this? Well, we've already hinted at that uh, at the beginning of the programme. It is inevitably going to put businesses out of business. Um, the central bank's talking about regime change. They're talking, they're talking about uh, the, the, the central banking regime changing, but it's a bit more than that because, of course, governments are now so beholden to central banks. Central banks are now effectively setting government policy because, uh, because they're holding so much government debt. Um, so it's actually a bit more than just, uh, you know, financial regime change and central banking regime change. It's actually a literal regime change uh, because it's not the government of the day that's setting the political agenda. It's the central banks that are setting the political agenda. And of course, they fully expect, it's pretty clear now, they're fully expecting uh, the currencies to collapse because they're now, as we mentioned on Wednesday, pushing the use of a digital uh, currency. And this was uh, uh, the head of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, uh, saying exactly that, let's use a digital euro. But in fact, there are uh, quite a number of central banks uh, pushing this now. I think it's uh, I think it's uh, about 10 or so. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, so uh, this is what they're talking about. But is this what they're talking about, Great Reset? Well, of course, it is to a certain degree. Now, we're going to come on to the Great Reset uh, in another way in a second. Uh, but this, this is something that you've looked at, uh, Patrick, it continues to be pushed. It's all about the new green economy. And that's really what we've seen expressed, certainly by the Bank of England over the last six or eight months, possibly the last year. Uh, Mark Carney at the end of last year actually talking about putting businesses out of business that weren't compatible with the new green deal, which is what this is all about. Um, and uh, well, another pressure on businesses, of course, is the forthcoming end of the uh, the transition period with Brexit. This is a National Audit Office, uh, their report, the UK border preparedness for the end of the transition period. And they're saying, well, government hasn't really acted fast enough. 
businesses aren't prepared. There's going to be trouble with imports and exports. We're not going to have the goods that we need uh, in the shops and companies are going to go out of business as a result. And again, it's sort of the, the, the focus of the National Audit Office is sort of on incompetence from the British government on this. But it's not incompetence. It can't be incompetence. It's not like they didn't know that this deadline was coming. Uh, this was policy uh, to get to this point with no deal in place for the European Union, no understanding. So even if they do do a deal by the end of the transition period, there isn't going to be time uh, to implement that deal before the transition period ends. So there's going to be some period of disruption at the end of this, no matter what happens. Um, again, that is going to put massive pressure on businesses that are already under massive pressure and can only have one real outcome. This is about the Great Reset, I think. It's about uh, putting businesses that are incompatible with the new green economy out of business. Everything to do with COVID, everything to do with COVID, with lockdowns, with po any policies connected with that and the Green New Deal, because you can already see how these have been uh, melded together and that's by design. All of this is under should, should, should be seen very simply as a consolidation consolidation of wealth, of power, and of, of, of systems of governing, basically. It's all consolidation. So flatten it, break it down, uh, to turn it into a monolith, a, a single currency, a, a single, potentially a single world government down the line, mm. uh, a, a, a single a single party, a single everything, just complete boiling everything down, simplifying everything, total consolidation. So those who have chips going into this new order will are set are set up to be the ruling oligarch elite class for the next 100 or 200 years. They're them and their families and their offspring. Everybody else who's not um, in position for that, they will be fixed, you know, more or less at a level uh, where they're at. So um, this, is, this is a consolidation of wealth and power, quite simply. Uh, and just to just to end off then, uh, a number of people pointing this out that they've started seeing these uh, posters. Uh, in fact, w one person saying that uh, this graphic or similar was appearing on one of the big uh, uh, electronic billboards in a shopping centre. Uh, what we pause today will shape our tomorrow. And this is pointing, this is calling itself the Great Reset, but you'll notice that there's a, an underscore between the re and the set, and they're pointing at a website called greatreset.com. So that is not this great reset that we just mentioned a second ago, but it is related. And it's just fascinating to me, Patrick, about how some of these uh, terms are being used and reused by all and sundry. Uh, so, so what is this particular great reset? Well, this is uh, an initiative led by a, an organization called Purpose Disruptors. Uh, and it's to encourage people to continue environmentally friendly behaviors that were started during the lockdown. So obviously as a result of the lockdown, people weren't driving as car, the cars as much, they weren't, uh, they weren't flying as much, they weren't traveling as much, uh, and they weren't buying as much. Uh, and uh, so these guys want to make sure that you continue to not do those things uh, because that's better for the environment. Read the small print there in the bottom left-hand side, Mike. It says, our emissions will be reduced by 7% in 2020, thanks to the lockdown pause. Let's keep it up. Yes. So they're they're lobbying. This group is lobbying to continue lockdowns, and and one might say permanently. That I mean that that that's the implication that that I'm getting from that messaging. That, yeah, absolutely. And, and that lockdowns are saving the planet from global warming or quote climate change by cutting down emissions. Mm. So uh, that's. That's the thing, this is the organization, uh, Purpose Disruptors. We're a network of advertising insiders working together to reshape our industry to tackle climate change. That's what's driving them. But what fascinated me about it, Patrick, was, was the, the, the fact that they used the term Great Reset, which is obviously a term which is also being run by through the, the World Economic Forum. It's a globalist term, therefore, and it's uh, something that, that is desirable, perhaps on the part of some, to get into the, the public psyche. Uh, but of course, let's remember uh, other terms that related to the Green New Deal as well, uh, from Biden here, from Boris, apparently, allegedly on opposite sides of the political spectrum, but they're still using the same terms. And other leaders are using that term as well. Uh, the World Wildlife Fund using it, uh, a whole bunch of organizations using it. But Trump's not using it. No, no. So, so 
look at what's going on right now in the U.S. This is this isn't just a normal election. Mm. There's a massive agenda behind the Biden administration, and and by the way, Biden won't be around much. You know, he won't be around to finish his first term. That's a guarantee. Okay, or if not, he'll just be a a, a figurehead. Um, you know, so, so it, there's an agenda. There's a there's a a group of people who are coming in to implement this World Economic Forum based new order. And they absolutely need uh, the Democrats and Joe Biden to do that. Mm. Because with, with Trump, it's not as easy. It's going to be delayed five, ten years. The people might get used to their freedom too much in the next four years. And they might say, actually, this isn't a good idea. Mm. But what's most disturbing about this, last thing I'll say, Mike, is that the, the, the narrative that they're pushing is, oh, thank God COVID came along because... You know, we, we brought our emissions down. I mean, who knew COVID came along and then it, it, it helped to fight climate change. I mean, how lucky, it's a silver lining. COVID was, was a blessing. COVID was a blessing. If you believe that narrative, you are just completely naive because this isn't a coincidence. These things were designed and planned. These were, these, these were on the ready by the World Economic Forum before, you know, lockdown, okay? So it's not a coincidence, and that's not a conspiracy theory. Look at the amount of detail and work that it went into that, that went right up on their website almost immediately after lockdown. That wasn't just dreamt up in two weeks. And not just there, as we said, lots of organizations, World Wildlife Fund, a whole host of others using the Build Back Better mantra. Uh, it doesn't automatically at the same time just spread out amongst all these organizations to the point that they can build campaigns and build websites and build all this stuff and just have it ready to go at a certain point. It didn't start somewhere and then uh, trickle out. That was all coordinated. Yeah. Oh, they're using the same one. Oh, he's using, oh, Boris has got it mm. too. Must be a coincidence. And on that coincidence, we'll leave it for today. Thank you very much for joining us, Patrick. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we will be back at the same time as usual, 1 p.m. on Monday. Have a great weekend and we'll see you then. Bye-bye.